Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Yo, man, what's going on? <laughs> Foghorn. Now you're blowing into the wine bottle like I did a couple of weeks ago. No, we're on location here at the uh, landfill. <laughs> so you can hear the uh, the, the bulldozers in the background the burying barges. bodies that the mob left? Or <laughs> barges. Foghorns. Leghorns. Leghorns. <laughs> They're just everywhere. <laughs> Sams of Yosemite, Yosemite, like surface-to-air missile Sams. That's right. No Yosemite Sams. He's one of my favorites. Ah, uh, suffering succotash. Suffering succotash. So what's going on? Uh, let's hear a little Elmer Fudd. Elmer Fudd. Waskowy Wabbit. I don't do Elmer Fudd. Wabbit. <laughs> I don't do Elmer Fudd. We're going to get labeled politically incorrect if we start doing Elmer Fudd. Because <laughs> he's got a bit of a speech impediment, doesn't he? That's right. You can't make fun of anyone with an impediment anymore. N- not unlike the guy in the first film I'm going to talk about tonight, actually. But yeah. we won't get into that. Yeah, You know, last week I talked about a bizarre retail experience I had where everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. And... and- I think near, and near the end of it, they actually amputated your leg accidentally. The wrong one. Actually, both of them would have been the wrong one, wouldn't they? <laughs> That's right. Since both of my legs, to the best of my knowledge, are okay. I have no blood clots. I have no bone cancer. And near the end of it, the chief, no. he lifted up the sink and he threw it out the window. No gangrene. That's right. I believe Danny DeVito and Jack Nicholson were present the when game. that happened. <laughs> That's right. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. One of the great ones. So I had another bizarre retail experience. I'm not going to name the device that I recently purchased, but I bought one of those infernal devices, a much more low-tech version than John's iPhone. And um, so It still makes the same noise, though. It, it does if we're podcasting yep. and a call comes in. And But I've put it in a Faraday cage, and uh, mine won't be making any noise. It shall not it's be in interfering with this. That's right. It's been punished. So I went to the mall, right? I got out of work late one day. Actually, I got out of work an hour early because I had some work to do in the new apartment I'm renting, and... I went to the mall to rent, uh, to rent, right, to buy a cell phone contract, right? And, you know, it was like... You're renting the airwaves. It was like 6.30, so I knew the only place that would be open would be the kiosk in the mall. And this should be a 15-minute experience, shouldn't it? Getting a phone and getting online with, the you know, modern technology and these new modern kiosks and these bright and bushy-tailed salespeople. Having worked in the information technology fields for quite a few years now, I would say, yes, it should be... A two-click operation at best. Well, let me throw the caveat on. If everything went right, it would have been a 15-minute operation. But So I went to the, the company. They begin with a V. I won't name any names. And they rhyme with Verizon. Yeah, they do. They rhyme with Horizon, and uh, which no, is a, Verizon. a competitor to the company I actually work for, actually, a company called Horizon. But So I went there. And, you know, I want the cheapest phone. I want the cheapest plan, you know. And I was at the apartment. And Cheap hookers come with it. That's right. I was at the apartment, you know, like varnishing the floors. And my dad was going to meet me and do some work with me. And I realized I needed something, right? But suddenly I had no way to contact him. 
So I was like, you know what? And I always said, if I ever broke down on Route 5 on the way to John's in the middle of winter, I would get a cell phone. And of course, that never happened. But that sense of, that. That sense of, of loneliness and, you know, uh, what's the word I want? Helplessness. Helplessness. Disconnectedness. Uh, yeah, sort of. You needed a, a fire. I did. It overcame me. And I realized, especially with uh, Rocio coming soon, she's used to having a cell phone. I'll leave it with her when I'm at work. You know, if she has to, you know, do something and she feels insecure, she can call me and I can come get her or whatever. So the time has come for me to get a cell phone. So I went to the Horizon booth. Oh, no. Rhymes with Horizon. And I it should have been quick and easy. I said, I want the one-year plan. I want this cheap Samsung phone. It's got a camera. It's got Bluetooth. It's got anything I could possibly need. I don't need one of those fancy schmancy iPhones like the guy across the table from me has. Nobody and, needs anything in this world. Well, food, shelter, and love. Okay, maybe. Yeah, I actually agree with you. And you certainly don't need an iPhone. But... um. Oh, nor any cell phone. But anyway, so I went to rent it, and I said, I want the one-year plan, blah, 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 blah. So he, he spent like 20 minutes typing all of this stuff into this web form, all these fields, you know. Finally, he printed out the contract. He hit my card, the money, blah, blah, blah. And he points to the contract, and he starts circling things and Xing them. He wants me to initial buy him. This is the plan you're getting. You're getting the cheap plan. You get 540 minutes and blah, 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 blah in two years. And I went, no, I wanted the one-year program. I don't want to be tied into anything for two years. You're shaking your head yes. I'm shaking your head yes. You've got a fear of commitment. But anyways. Yeah, but, you know, I'm going to start with the one-year plan and see how much I like this. Who knows? I might not want a cell phone two years from now. I might want to get rid of it after a year. You might want an iPhone in six months. No, I won't. And besides, every phone's going to do what an iPhone can do in a year, right? I mean, they've set the benchmark. They've set the high, the high jump pole is set, and now everybody's going to try to the equal chains. That. Yeah, they have. They've I moved. Mean, what other First and ten. And um, so he's like, "You got the two year plan," and I went, Arr. and he went, "Oh, you know, I heard you say." The one-year plan, but... But I promptly ignored you because I want to make more money. That's right. So now I don't think he did it on purpose. I think it was a real accident. He's like a straight-up guy. Yeah, it's just So they charged my card, and then they had to do a credit, right? And then I looked at the credit slip, and it, it was a positive number. It wasn't a negative number. I said, are you sure this is a credit? And they said, yeah, it's positive because it's positively going back in your account or something. Because <laughs> we're positive that we want more money from you. And I think they hit my card twice, and then they had to do two credits, and then he had to spend 20 more minutes filling in the web form to give me the one-year plan. And then when it was – now, mind you, there was the store manager, the kiosk manager, had left in the early part of this process. He was going to the home office to pick up some more phones for their inventory, right? He comes back like a half hour later, and he looks at me, and he goes, what are you still doing here? What Are you on the clock? What's going on? Real nice guy. His name was Ashton. And I pointed – sure. No. He's the only other person I know with that name, though. So I pointed to my salesman, and I said, ask him, right? So at this point, he's got it all figured out. The one-year plan is entered in. You know, they had to give me a new phone number because they had to delete the, you know, previous contract. So apparently, sequentially, I had to get the next number and blah, blah, blah. Well, I think because I know what's coming next. And, well, John knows the story. And then um, the store managers actually try. I, I told them, you know, I have a headache. I need to get home. I just wanted to make this quick and painless. So the store manager, Ashton, is trying to get me out of there. And he bags up my cell phone box. And he sets it on the counter near me. So I took the phone and I set it on top of the bag. They called me over to the other side of the kiosk to sign some more, like, proof that I got my credits and, you know, I can sign my first four children away or something did they have to get a blood sample there was no blood test urine and i'm signing everything a pap smear 
I'm signing everything, and uh, Ashton, the store manager, I'm on the other side of the kiosk from him, so he wants to be a, a nice guy. So he picks up the bag with my cell phone box in it without realizing my cell phone is on top of it and hands me the bag. And all of a sudden you hear, no. Yeah. No. And then, and then, like two seconds later, we could do the mass. S, and S like, equals one half at squared, right? We we could do the math and figure out how long this took because it was about a three and a half foot high counter. And there's like this baby carriage rolling down steps. Yeah, really slowly. <laughs> and, and then the phone hits the ground and breaks into four pieces. And Ashton's like, "Oh, I didn't see your phone." So I've already been there forty minutes, right? Then he has to go into another form and explain to Horizon, Verizon, Schmerizen why he broke my phone and why they have to give me a free one, you know. And at least he was a stand-up guy. I watched him type into the field, you know. Other, I broke customer's phone, <laughs> you know. He he actually was a stand-up guy and and took you know responsibility for what had happened but what should have been a 15 minute experience took exactly one hour and i got out of work an hour early that day to do work on the apartment that i'm renting so that hour was nullified and i had a headache and i just wanted to kill everyone tom nullificator yeah so i've had two very bizarre i don't know my retail karma is really strange wow that just fruit in, fly is freaking out dude just in time for christmas yeah, so I don't you can even, go to on Black Friday and you can do your I, shopping I, clear. I don't even know what I'm doing on Black Friday, but I can assure you I will be nowhere near a retail establishment. You're going to be like cheese through a lactose intolerant colon. You're going to you're going to go <laughs> flying right through those stores with no problem because all your karma has been used up. All my bad retail karma has hopefully, but That's I right. mean, I couldn't believe it. And again, anything that could have gone wrong with that tire puncture situation did and anything that could have gone wrong the only thing they didn't do was, like, rip my clothes, so I had to go change, you know? The next thing Rich knows, all he wanted was a phone, yet he's locked in a box and he's wearing a mask with a ball gag. <laughs> I don't even know, but very strange. Anyway, let's let's jump into a tune. Speaking of, uh, of healing, let's, let's check it out. ba 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 Today's news is tomorrow's chip wrapper Bleached by vinegar stains For who cares for yesterday All the talk is of the next big hoo-ha You're kicked off the front page How dare the world move on You wouldn't have wanted to linger To depend on everyone's care To be smothered in all our concern But how can we talk of you in those terms? So we cling to laughter For what else do we have? 
this tradition Which years ago he pushed away ba 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 Quadraphonic effect there. It, it was like 12 speakers. It was dodecaphonic. Triscadecaphonic. Googlephonic, even. <laughs> you know, the first time I heard those guys, I thought very 1960s. And I'm not changing my opinion. I yeah, want to say very were. 1960s. Yeah, that was The Portraits. We played another uh, selection of theirs called Bangkok. This was called Harry Edwards. Very strong. You know, when John played this for me initially in our sort of let's preview the music we're going to that we've downloaded and we're going to potentially play on our next few shows. There was a drum fill in this song that was a little, just a little off. It wasn't in time. Right. And I thought, Oh, the groove isn't happening. But once they got into that song with the backing vocals, just stupendous. It's phenomenal. Yeah. I think that they're more about the concept of their song than about being perfect musicians. Well, I don't want perfection. I just want a groove. And that drum fill just got out of the groove. And then you kind of had to ramp up and start feeling it again. You know what I mean? It was like, oh. And then, you know, and then they got back into it. I can and deal with it. Those guys are really strong. Well, if I were in the studio, I would have said, let's do that again. <laughs> it's because you're a sound freak. A sound freak? I've been called many things. Yeah, but that's so the not, first I'm not time use John's, the N word. That's the first time John's called me a sound freak. I'm not going to call you the audio N word. What's the audio N word? Nazi. Oh, oh I that's did it right. Again. He's, yeah. He has called me the audio Nazi in the past. So you know, I saw a couple of films at mwpai.org. You know, the the place that won't sell me tickets to concerts in the court. Still won't. You, you know, know and you know what's ironic about that is tonight there is a concerts in the court performance, and I'm very excited. Yeah, I will be there. You keep telling me you got to get out of here. I don't like you. The um, what? I didn't say anything. No. What did that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't say anything. What oh about? yeah, I'm in a hurry today. John's yeah. point is I'm in a hurry today. So I'm I'm apologizing up front because I didn't get a chance to watch any of these films for two reasons. One, I couldn't get them illegally. <laughs> and the second reason is... Which he would never do anyway. I didn't try hard enough to get them illegally. <laughs> That's about it. Apparently the iPhone isn't connected quite <laughs> as well as we thought. I spent way too much time on my phone today. So tell me, what'd you see? Well, 
actually the second film you'll be able yeah, to we'll talk, talk about, about because we both have a passion for the the subject um and uh and there's a bit of a theme to the titles of both films the the first film i'm going to talk about is called rocket science and later on we'll talk about in the shadow of the moon which actually has something to do with rocketry the first really? one rocket science actually has nothing to do with rocketry but if i were going to categorize this film and label it and, and give it a a something meets something title and i said this to john before so it'll come as this no is like your to pitch him. to the studio like how to sell it yeah if i were going to pitch this movie to the studio i would say this it's is die hard meets anastasia <laughs> it's it's die hard meets bill cosby's last bomb <laughs> no this is rushmore meets garden state there you go and you know it had those those young high school aged outsider quality uh that rushmore had the lead character in rushmore whose name escapes me had jonathan, that quality i'm sorry jonathan schwartzman yeah, was that the actor or the character? That's the actor. Who's the character? The character was Max. I can't remember. Max Flesher? Headroom, something. Well, this character is named Hal Hefner, and he's played by Reese Daniel... Reese Daniel Thompson, not to be uh, you know confused with Reese Witherspoon, apparently. But And he is an outsider. He comes from a bit of a broken family. He has a bit of a... a self-confidence, self-esteem problem, and he's a stutterer, right? And apparently the the filmmaker, Jeffrey Blitz, who made this film, had this sort of... It was a mild stuttering, and he had this problem when he was young, too, so he, he kind of wanted to integrate that into in one of his characters. So this this character, Hal Hefner, is, is a bit of an outcast, a bit of an outsider, and, and you know, low self-esteem, not a lot of confidence. He's a ladies' man. He's not a ladies' man, but yet there's... Thank you for that segue, because there's a woman at school that he really likes, and he ends up developing a relationship with her when she approaches him to be on the debate team. He's a stutterer, and she approaches... I'm going to say it again. She approaches him to be on the debate team... It's a trick, right? ...because she sees some talent in him and Uh. believes she can get him out of his shell. What what, What her motivations were are still unclear to me. I'm still thinking about that. It's not entirely clear to me where she was going with that, if she was really thought that or she just wanted to have a you know an extracurricular relationship with him i don't know but she is kind of the school's star debater you know they've been wanting to win the state debate she championship she would be called a master she would be called a master debater <laughs> thank you that's another great line it reminds me of sting on their ghost in the machine album he described what the audience does at concerts as turbation and when you're at a giant concert it's mass turbation you know there you go that was actually uh in the uh the concert uh program that you got at the Ghost in the Machine tour in 1983 at the Carrier Dome when I went to see them on that tour. Black Uhuru opened, by the way, a real reggae band. So she is trying to coach him to be on the debate team, and then suddenly they have this magic moment and their lips lock, and you think there's going to be some sort of relationship. But then she ends up kind of, when she realizes he doesn't have quite as much talent as she thought she did, she dumps him, as it were, for the uh, the person uh, who is probably more in line to be the, the next, uh, the second in line to her on the school debate team. And first of all, why I'm comparing this to Rushmore is for the reasons I said before. He's sort of high school-aged outsiders. Why I'm comparing it to Garden State is because, A, it took place in New Jersey, and B, there was just a lot of quirky characters and quirky situations, yet at the same time, they didn't seem unreal. Even though these situations and these circumstances and these characters were very quirky, in my worldview, anyway, I think that this could have happened. You know, it's not outlandish. It's quirky, but Mm -hmm. yet it's not outlandish. 
And it's kind of a coming-of-age film with Hal Hefner, by the end, getting back some of his self-confidence. And just actually a wonderful film. Very, you know, I didn't recognize any of the acting talent in it. There weren't any big names in it. Just a very clever, smart, quirky, independent film. And I loved it to death. I, I thought it was great. And I know, I, I think, with all my heart, that you're going to like it, too. Because, yeah, and I, and I tried. Because I know you love both of the films that I'm comparing it to. Yes, I do. In fact... Uh, before in the show prep, I was actually saying randomly that uh, Garden State was on television recently, and I yes. watched it again just a couple of days ago. Yeah, and I have. Very good. I, I own it and haven't watched it in a while, but you now should because I'm going to watch it again because you forget just how good some of those scenes are. They're so good, and and even though some of them are so good, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote one of my favorite lines from the film. That's one of the basest and, and least intelligent lines in the film: De Niro and shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> Attica, right? <laughs> which is great. He he invokes De Niro, and then he screams Attica, which is a completely different film with a completely different actor, which is so great. Yeah, that, that is a very, very good, very, very good movie. So if if you're comparing it to that, I'm down with it. And Rushmore, one of my all time favorites. So again, and and I watched that recently, having only I saw it years and years ago, but um, I watched it again about a month ago, and it was fantastic. And it this film, Rocket Science, which is uh, I, I saw it. Uh, wonderful i think it, it draws real comparisons to both rushmore and garden state and it's a 2007 film directed by jeffrey blitz united states rated r they don't say why 98 minutes long i'm telling you one of the things that we're going to, have to do because you've got um one of the next wes anderson wes anderson films coming up in your series um i think it's going to be coming up in a few weeks it's the darjeeling express or the darjeeling darjeeling limited it's yeah, hard, it's hard to well, say that ten times. Actually, fast. it's it's quite a ways from now. Is I'm it? not quite certain if I'm going to be in town for that. Actually, it's December 26th. Oh, is 28th. it? 28th. No, will I be probably in... will be. It's because uh, the Friday night performance would be December 28th, so I probably will be in town for that. Well, I'm, what I was thinking about is because I've got that entire week off, I might catch that with you. That would be fun because that's a film that I'd love to see. Well, if you catch it with me, it'll be three of us actually. Yes, it will. For, for some, reasons that I won't go into at this for, point. For reasons that cannot be mentioned. Correct. Right. Correctamundo. Rich has a uh, a twin that he's having excised from his side. Well, we're, we're attached at the head. And, uh, That's right. They're, we're going to no have the surgery. pictures of Rich without Photoshop involved. House is going to diagnose me, and, uh, and he's going to say nasty things to me and then pop pain pills. All right. On that note. Um, Let's play some tunes. Oh, this is like a rock and roll anthem, isn't it? It is. I love this one. Let's check it out.
There you go. You know, I think that was... Wait a minute, there's more. Hey guys, this is Rosebud. Listen, I was just calling to find out if I would shave my mustache and promise to keep my balls in my pants. Would you guys take me back, back out on tour again? Okay, I remember that now. I forgot about that, but I remember that. Rosebud is one of the roadies. <laughs> oh, I thought it was a sled. No, well, it is, but in this context, it's one of the, the band's roadies, and he called and literally left that message on the answering machine at the studio when we were making that record. So we made it the outro to one of the songs. I totally forgot about that. It's funny, because right when that song was ending, John looked at the, the countdown timer on the, the MP3 player and said, there's 20 seconds left, and I went, the song's about to end. Now. Right, be twenty seconds left. Oh, that's so Rosebud. funny. Rosebud. That was a band called Digger, and they're actually the the pop punk scene was really big in Pennsylvania in uh, the nineties. What year was that? Um, I want to say ninety seven or ninety eight, and that was a record called um, "The Promise of an Uncertain Future" by a band called Digger, and they were all from like the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania. There was like this really intense pop punk scene, and one of the bands that was really big around that time that had some commercial success was a band called Weston, which uh, I did a record with also, and that was a song called "Quitters Never Win," and the band was Digger. I thought it was just say no, uh, or no. there's no I in team. The quitters, yeah, something like that, and um, that was, you know, this band. There's there's very little evidence of them on the internet anymore. They're probably all heroin addicts, you know, <laughs> in keeping with last week's topic. Which the ever optimistic, optimistic guy, yeah. And Ugh. I actually could find no reference to them. I was certain that if I had asked them, they would let me play it. But since I couldn't find any reference of them, I just decided to play it anyway. So we That's don't have tried. That's right. But I, I'm pretty certain that those guys uh, would have let us play it, and uh, we had a good time in the studio. And uh, there might even be uh, my name might even be mentioned in the. See, I like that. You know why? Because I, did I ever mention this like publicly on the show that? Throughout the entire late 80s, early 90s. Is this a closet thing? Yeah. When I was in college, my primary mode of transportation, well, my secondary mode of transportation was one of those boards with four wheels that you kick and you ride around. My primary mode of transportation was a 69 Olds Cutlass that had no floor. Really? <laughs> don't you remember that? The 69 Olds? I remember the truck. You don't remember the Olds Cutlass? Oh. I don't think I knew you when you had the Cutlass. You did know me. This is when I was I... in college. I don't remember that. Well, anyways, My name is in the, the credits here on a couple of levels. Thank but you. it reminds me of that time because I was into a lot of those skate scene punk band type things. And, you know, like uh, <laughs> Dinosaur Jr. was a huge one that, that kind of reminded me of. I got to read this to you. Hit me. Recorded and mixed uh, February 98 at Ock Rock Studios, Utica, New York. Engineered by Bob Francis Aquaviva. Second engineer, Richard V. Wilgus, a.k.a. Skippy the Astronaut, which is pretty appropriate because of where we're going next. And uh, I'm also mentioned at the very end of the credits. They mention um, the Broadway's mustard plug, falling sickness, funeral oration, the nobodies. These are a bunch of the the bands in that uh, Lehigh Valley punk scene. My favorite band named Eighty Eight Fingers Louie. <laughs> I remember kinda, them. It's kind of like in Kill Bill. The the Death Squad was called the Crazy Eighty Eights. Uh, there's another band called the Iron Thieves, UK. Jesuit. UK. And then it says Bob Aquaviva, Rich Wilgus, Tom Abraham, Lenny Milano, Darren, Brian, Kevin, Lou Dog, Posen, and you, the victim. What was Lenny Milano doing in that? Uh, Lenny Milano, 
He's a drummer. I know who Lenny is. I just wonder what he was doing in that. You know, you're going to laugh, but I think he came in and kept the drum kit in tune. He's a uh. really good drum kit tuner. The drum, I mean, the drum sounded really good in there, those tom fills and everything. And that was because Lenny, who's a wonderful drummer, uh, and we've actually heard his playing on the show because we played Paul Angerosa's music. Right. And Lenny was playing in that band, Vinny and the Butchers, in the Paul Angerosa solo album. And uh, Lenny can really play, and he really knows how to tune drums and make them sound good. I'm going to read some of these other bands that were from the... uh, Actually, they put all the kids who do shows and actually put up flyers. (laughs) Surrounded, Nooner, Throttle Jockey, Discount, Dawson High, Weston, the band I mentioned a minute ago, The Go to Hells. (laughs) I like Nooner. (laughs) The Cretans, Good Riddance, MXPX, S-Driver, Pinhead Circus, Buck09, UTI, Everready. UTI? Yeah. That's awesome. What does that stand for? Urinary Tract Infection. Oh, right. Yeah, we, we actually talked about that recently. Uh, where was I? UTI, UTI. Everybody, My Pal Trigger. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> band name. Um, Self, The Side Effects, Diesel Boy, Goober Patrol, The Vandals, iFarm, DBS, Slacker, Latex Generation, Jill Gob, Grieving Eucalyptics. <laughs> Grieving <laughs> Eucalyptus. That's a great band name. Uh, the Fairlanes, Cut Fiddle, The Lizards, Bigwig, Cooter, Keg Stand, I-45, Whatever, Houseboy, Driver 11, The Broadways, and then all the ones I mentioned all- already. But anyway, Digger, a lot of fun. And um, we have a whole record full of interesting music to play by those guys that and I had. to keep playing it until they tell us to stop. <laughs> that's right. I mean, they're on Hopeless Records, which I don't even know if that's around anymore. But I, you know what? I'm going to say this much about these guys. Uh, what they lacked in technique, would, punk rock isn't supposed to be about technique anyway. These guys make up an energy and fun. And it was really a lot of fun to work with these guys in the studio. Had a blast. Anyway. Yeah, when you're rattling off those names, it just reminds me of one of those ongoing things that people have in relationships. My wife and I, whenever we hear like some weird, quirky combination of words, we'd always go to each other, that sounds like a band name. <laughs> it's just, we, we've we done that for like the past 14, 15 years now. How long have you been together? Um, 14 or 15 years? Actually, let me think about this. 16 years. Holy cow. I was actually at the, I was at the wedding. I just don't remember. We haven't been much married for 16 it. years. We've been together for 16 years. Oh, well, I was at the wedding, though. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to reciprocate soon. Actually, pretty ironic that you, um, you're sort of the big Catholic guy, but yet you had your wedding, as I recall, in a non-denominational... Uh, well, you, you know why? I don't know. It was like the Masonic Temple, wasn't it? Well, it was, it's a Masonic chapel that, that was like close by. It was non-denominational. It was open to, the, to anyone who essentially wanted to go there and could pay. So the answer so, was why? The answer, the answer to why was because at the time, my wife was not Catholic. Her family was not Catholic, and they felt uncomfortable having the, the service in a Catholic church. Betsy has since converted to Catholicism, not my forcing. It was that she came to that oh, on her own. There was some forcing on. Yeah, so I understand it. So we're all we're all uh, kosher now. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. it makes perfect sense. <laughs> right, and none of us eat ham. Yeah, parev kosher. That's right. So I saw a, a, another interesting movie called In the Shadow of the Moon, which is actually about the space program. And this oh, is, I thought it was about pranksters. No, this is an attempt, uh, not an attempt, but a, a successful. 
look back at the Apollo program from what 1969 to 1972. You know, Apollo's 11 through Apollo's 17 with the the moonshot program. Well, they talked about Apollo 8 too, which orbited the moon on a free return and then came back, which had. Um, uh, Gene Cernan, I forget all, Lovell Cernan, and I forget the third guy who was part of that mission. So, what this and, and, and this film was directed by David Sington, but yet I believe it was produced by Mr. Ron Howard, who uh, was, of course, uh, the the director of Apollo thirteen. He and, likes big moons, and he was also involved in that uh, HBO miniseries from the Earth to the Moon with Tom Hanks, which yep. was based on the Andrew Chaikin book, which was wonderful. It was one of the best books I've ever read. And I'm going to say something that might shock you about this film, but it wasn't quite as good as I was hoping. And the only reason I'm saying that is because I'm very familiar with the material. I've read everything there is to read on the Apollo program. I've seen every film, every documentary there is to see, any archival footage that there is of the astronauts being interviewed, especially our main geezer, Buzz Aldrin. (laughs) He's a... Very friendly geezer. So I I guess, you know, when they talked about remastered pictures and remastered video from the moon, I expected like some IMAX experience and to be totally blown away. Except that is a huge caveat. The average person is going to be blown away by this film. It's a really great film with a lot of new interviews. And in fact, most of the, the interviews I've seen with astronauts are a bit dated, you know. They're archival footage that they've pieced together to make a documentary out of. These were recent. Forrest Gump even shows up in a couple of them. He, he does. These were, you know, current, if you if you will, for lack of a better word, interviews with the the typical guys who are still spokespersons for the Apollo program. Guys like Jim Lovell, Gene Cernan, Buzz Aldrin. You know, you know, Neil Armstrong doesn't come out of his cocoon for this one. He comes out into the public only on typically like the ten year anniversaries of Apollo. Like we'll probably see him in two years. You see his shadow, and there's another moonshot. That's right. (laughs) We'll probably see Mr. Armstrong in two years in 2009 on the. uh, the 40th anniversary of his landing on the moon. But, you know, we only see him on on, on significant anniversaries. And uh, we had Jack Schmidt, Harrison Schmidt, the geologist who was allowed to fly on Apollo 17, interviewed, and a few other guys whose names are escaping me. Uh, Alan Bean, the guy on the Apollo, Apollo 12, uh, lunar module pilot, who actually did, of course, lunar module pilots did no flying. Enemy of cameras. <laughs> Yes, Alan Bean is uh, a bit of a camera abuser, and uh, there's a story in that, too. And I don't even know how to talk about this film, because it was just a bunch of interviews and a bunch of film footage, and these guys, although a lot of people probably want to believe they're just machines and automatons, are really humans, you know? And for this film in particular, they kind of allowed themselves to be human, you know. They spoke about their fears and their expectations and their hopes and things that didn't happen that they would like to have happened. And, and certainly Lovell, Lovell's career is filled with things that uh, he would have liked to have happened and didn't happen because he flew, of course, as commander on Apollo 13 and they didn't get to go to the moon and almost died. Two questions. Yes. At any point in time, did anyone mention Mount Marilyn? Uh, Mount Marilyn was not mentioned in this film. Was the phrase... Frappin' eight ball ever uttered? <laughs> no, I don't believe. I'm quite certain the phrase "frappin' eight ball" was not uh, okay. uttered as well. But there was a lot of wonderful uh, references and um, you know just just recollections about things. And again, these are stories that I've heard. So for me, the sort of consummate Apollo. 
uh, fan, it wasn't necessarily anything new, but I think for most people who, you know, I mean, let's face it, there were two girls behind me who were probably 16. You and I were alive in the Apollo era. We may have been very young, but we were alive. Actually, what year were you born? 70. Okay, so you were alive in the Apollo era. And I was actually, I took a tour of Cape Kennedy in 1972, right after the Apollo program ended when we went to Florida. So, I mean, I we've been witness to these things. And on the- Yeah, on my the, toys, when I was a kid, I had Apollo toys. I had like Gemini- uh, module toys. That's what I and I want loving. these things again. I yeah. want to get some of these desk models. You know, you used to see them on the desks on the stands. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to get a really cool lunar module model and command module. Model. Well, you know what I can't wait for? I can't wait for when they actually start wrapping up this whole planning phase and they start doing the building and bending metal, as they say yeah. on the uh, space yeah. space news groups, because they are planning the next moon missions. And they're doing it with modern technology, but they're actually going retro and they're they're using the same kind of techniques, the same kind of plan, so to speak, where you've got the, the orbiter and the lander separated and all of that. It's well, not going is, with a shuttle. We're not going up to the moon with the no, shuttle. No, the shuttle can't go anywhere. I believe this is going to be kind of... The system that we used to go to the moon the first time was called uh, Lunar Orbit Rendezvous. And this is going Lerf. to be, yeah, this is going to be Earth Orbit Rendezvous and Lunar Orbit Rendezvous because ah. the, the command module and the lunar module went up together, but they had to transpose and dock, so they kind of had to do a, a, a simple rendezvous. So but they're going to launch some stuff. They're going to launch them Earth separately, orbit, and they're going to yeah, hit the moon. They're going to they're going to launch them separately and have to do a rendezvous, and then they're going to do the same thing that they did on the moon. They're going to undock. The lunar module is going to land. Some sort of uh, ascent module from the lunar module is going to take off and then dock with the command module again, and then they're going to return home. So it's going to be sort of a a little bit more complicated version than the Apollo program, as if that wasn't complicated enough. I wonder why they're doing that. Is it to increase the payload, do you think? Uh, I, no, they're doing it because we don't have a heavy lift vehicle that can launch both vehicles that with that amount of mass into orbit again. It's as simple as that. Hmm, okay. we, we don't have a, a Saturn V rocket anymore that can lift 12 and a half million pounds. Yeah, I think that from what I heard, maybe they're not going to do this anymore. I think they're going to reuse some of the shuttle technology. Like they're going to use some of the same engines that they're using, like the solid rocket boosters and everything. They're still yeah. going to repurpose those. Well, they're going to repurpose mission. the space shuttle main engines too, the SSMEs. Yep. I mean, it would be really cool to have a 363-foot uh, Saturn V again because we could— You've seen those in person, right? I, I have yeah, seen they're the pretty awesome. Saturn V in person. It's a, a pretty massive thing. The one thing I would have liked to have experienced would have been a real Saturn V launch to feel the the percussion and the low end the of that rocket. I mean, Walter Cronkite describes it at length because— I read his biography biography and the highlight of his career still was being at the launch of Apollo 11 and sitting in CBS's control room when Neil Armstrong walked down the ladder and walked on the moon. And they showed that scene in Apollo 13 and he was like, you know, rubbing his hands together and then he takes his glasses off and he's all flustered and he's speechless. This is the spokesperson for America, right, in the 60s and late 50s and 70s, Walter Cronkite, the premier anchorman, a man who uses his voice to communicate with the world. And when Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon, he went, wow. And then he was speechless for like 10 seconds. I mean, it's an amazing thing to me that you that uh, achievement could render a man like, like Walter Cronkite completely speechless. I can't wait for us to go back. I hope we do it. I mean, I hope it doesn't get yanked in the next administration. That I 
Yeah, I really want to see us go to the moon again, and I want to see us go to Mars as well. Yes, I, I think that's absolutely, well... We've from, been to the moon. I, again, from what I understand, this is all like getting us geared back up for all sorts of extraterrestrial travel. I mean, and right. Mars is next, but we can't do it without reacquainting ourselves with, with human travel up exactly. to other planets. I, I think that's true. I mean, I spoke to my friend Matt years ago about where he'd rather go, the moon or the Mars. And he said, Mars. And I said, why? And he goes, we've already been to the moon. And that's a pretty pragmatic and logical answer. But I think what you're saying is true. I think we need to reacquaint ourselves and reintroduce ourselves to this kind of activity and technology. And then we need to uh, go visit Mars. I yeah. think there's a lot of cool stuff to be done there. There's a lot of geology to uh, to be done on both the moon and the Mars. And I'm a little bit excited about it. Plus, there's also one other thing. It's cheaper to launch from the moon than it is to launch from Earth. I don't think we're going to do that, but... I don't, but I think it would be cool if we did that. Well, is it cheaper, though? Because we'd have to move a lot of technology to the moon. From a from a, from a fuel economy standpoint, Purely it's certainly cheaper. one rocket versus another rocket. Yeah, maybe the prep stuff will be more expensive. <laughs> the prep stuff would be terribly expensive to build And then there's a whole it. life support thing. Yeah, you know, that living in a vacuum stuff is kind of hard. Oh, come on. It builds character. It might. So anyway, I, I like this film, again, for somebody who's super acquainted with the Apollo program. And I mean, just to give you an example, I've read every book that every one of those guys wrote. You know, Lovell's book. I've read Aldrin's book. I've read... He even broke into their houses and read the diaries. <laughs> I've read the books. I'm not kidding you when I say I have five actual autographs of the original Mercury 7 astronauts. So Underwear, I mean, too. I, I'm actually, you know, pretty intimately acquainted with them. By the way, I, I watched this film, and one of my friends, Ken, was there, and he said, I'll have to have you over to the house sometime and show you my autograph collection. And I said, I'd love to see it, because I have a bit of a small autograph collection, too, including Story Musgrave. Really? And, and Shannon Lucid, the woman who spent more time in orbit than any other astronaut in the world. I don't have Story Musgrave's autograph, but I, I passed by him in a hall once. At SU, Yeah. Um, where was I going? Oh, yeah, autographs. And I said, really? What, what's uh, what's your best autograph? And he said, Neil Armstrong. Nice. And I said, he really, you know, doesn't come out hiding much. How did you get Neil Armstrong's autograph? Stalker. He, he said, I was very young and he was an X-15 pilot. He hadn't been, uh, a, he hadn't become a part of the Apollo program yet because they hadn't even started the Apollo program yet. So he wasn't the, the superhero that... He is now because he was the first man on the moon. So, yeah. I don't I'm, know. Being an, an X-15, that's pretty scary stuff, too. Well, that's cutting-edge aerospace research, but who the hell knew who Neil Armstrong right, was right. when the X-15 was flying? But when he landed on the moon, now he's a part of every history book that will be published from now till the end of time or till the atomic bombs go off. He's Neil Armstrong. There's <laughs> Christopher Columbus, right? What did Tom Hanks say in Apollo 15? Christopher Columbus... Um, the guy who flew across the Atlantic, uh, Lindbergh. Lindbergh, Neil Armstrong, you know, right. and like it or not, he's a part of that pantheon. Anyway, I think that's a show, man. What do you think? I guess it's out of our hands. I've got no choice. You know what this means? What does it mean? We've got about 15 seconds. All right. Check us out on the web. www.bloodyveg.com. Taunt us, provoke us, and uh, occasionally say something interesting on the forum, bloodyvegetcom slash forum. Oh, but yeah, and my name is Rich Wilgus. John Tallarico. And uh, leave us feedback to feedback at bloodyveg.com. We always appreciate any uh, words of advice or hate or loathing that you have for us. Cash. Cash is good, too, but just don't give us a fruitcake. Oh, I love fruitcake. I hate it. Ugh. Anyway, you've been listening to the VIB. 